Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea. Have you ever had your dancers do really well in practice? Everything looks great in the studio, but then you go to competition and you change venues and all of a sudden the routine is a mess. Or you usually practice with mirrors, then once they're gone, things start to fall apart. Some of that can come from us getting stuck in a repetitive kind of rehearsal and practice structure. As coaches and teachers, we all get in a rut sometimes. I get that. You know, our practice plans and how we structure rehearsals gets really repetitive. You know, we have a similar warm up routine every day. We do similar drills for our turns and jumps. Uh, we have a formula for working across the floor combos. Maybe practices like the pattern are the same. We work on choreography, run it a few times full out, rinse and repeat the next day. There are definitely aspects of having a routine that are comforting. That's I'm not knocking that. I think there's some great opportunities where we want to have a consistency in our practices. But if you get stuck in a rut, you can actually make it harder for your dancers to compete or perform well. There's a concept called practice variability in motor learning, and it focuses on how we can change up the way we practice a skill in order to improve how well we learn that skill and improve our ability to perform that skill in another context, like being on stage. So it's not only important to change things up sometimes so that practice isn't boring, but that's actually going to help our dancers learn the skills they're working on even stronger and ensure that they can perform them when it counts. So in this episode, I'm going to tell you all about practice variability and the three ways to use this new knowledge to help your dancers compete and perform in any context. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. First, let's just define practice variability. It is kind of what it sounds like. It's when teachers introduce a variety of both movement and context characteristics to practice. So you're changing up how you practice the actual movement patterns and then the context or the environment that you're doing those movements in. So there's two pieces to it. You're varying how you practice the movement and you're varying how you set up the environment that you're practicing. That variability really helps dancers develop the ability to adapt and perform in new conditions. And I think that's one of the big things a lot of us have seen our dancers struggle with is that adaptation to being in a new space, a new venue. You know, it can really throw some of our dancers off. So adding this variability is a way to practice skills in lots of different contexts. And that means, again, both physical skills and mental skills are getting practice in different ways. And it helps our dancers be able to adapt to whatever environment they're in. So take some college dance teams, for example, many of them practice over and over again in their school facility and then take it to the stage at the national championships. That is a completely different context they may not have been in before. Maybe it's a raised stage. Maybe the lighting is different. The backdrop is different. Even the floor could be different. Or lots of our younger dancers are practicing in studios and then competitions or conventions might be in giant ballrooms that feel completely different than anything they've done before. 
So in these scenarios, the best thing would be to recreate the environment at home. But of course, that's not always possible. We can't, you know, just create a giant ballroom experience for them. Or to my friends out there who compete at NDA college nationals, you can't exactly recreate the band shell at home, but you can duplicate the competition venue in some aspects. And the more you can, the better. And then you can use that practice variability in order to adapt and kind of set your dancers up for success when they enter that new venue. Essentially, you're just helping your dancers learn to perform in any context so that whatever they encounter at competition won't throw them off. If you can replicate it, you do it. And if you can't, you just get in the habit of doing things differently. You get in the habit of performing and going through this routine when things are different and changing so that when they go to a competitive venue or when they go to perform it on a new stage, they're not thrown off. They're like, okay, I know how to do this in a different place. Nothing about this is hard or scary. It's definitely key for dancers who haven't competed or performed at all before. The ones who are new to this, or, you know, maybe they haven't been under, you know, big stage lights before. You've probably seen those young dancers the first time they get on stage, they get the darkness of the house and the deer and headlights look and uh, really struggle to figure out how to do that. Right. Of course, that's one big reason why we do dress rehearsals. We get to experience that context. But if you only get to try it, you know, one time for a few minutes before you perform, that may not be enough. So when you can't recreate that exact, you know, stage context and use it all the time, which, you know, we rarely can, then you incorporate practice variability into your rehearsals. You're just adding lots of variety and change. So that way, when your dancer is in a new context, they're not going to be thrown off. They become the type of dancer that knows how to adapt and they're not thrown off when things are different. Okay, so now that I hope you understand how important this concept is, here's three key like steps to implementing practice variability for your dancers. Step one, you want to determine future physical situations the dancer will be performing in. So think about the, you know, the physical venue that they're in and how that might impact things. So what are those characteristics that that dancer will face when they're performing, uh, you know, wherever you are, is it in a parade and you're outside on asphalt? Are they on a sport field with AstroTurf or real grass? Are they on a stage? Are they on Marley? Are they in a gym with hardwood, right? As much as you can trying to predict where, those future situations are going to be, and then allow them to practice in those situations. Consider all of the physical characteristics of that performance space and recreate it. You know, again, I think practicing on that actual floor as much as you can, uh, changing up, you know, how big the venue is. Are you really far away or close by? Like what are the, uh, the characteristics of the venue going to be for them? And another physical consideration is the shoes that they're practicing and performing in. We all understand how shoes can influence a dancer's performance. So if they will perform maybe on turf in tennis shoes or boots, then don't practice exclusively in jazz shoes at the studio, right? We want to ensure that it's as similar as possible to that performance situation. I will also add that this kind of adaptation to physical characteristics is usually helpful after your choreography is a little more solid, right? So you're working on the performance quality of your routine. We're not trying to learn something brand new. If their brains are already on overload trying to learn new choreography, that's not the time to change it up and say, hey, we're going outside today. 
You want to do this when choreography and routines are feeling pretty good and you're on like the polishing phase of this. Then you can introduce these kinds of variations in physical characteristics and be able to simulate as much of it as you can. Step two is to determine the future situations regarding the actual skills. So this one is about the actual like dance skills that you're training and considering the different ways they'll be performed. So you want to think about what key technical skills you'll be competing or performing and if they are linked together in certain ways or what comes before or after them in routines, you know, if the skills are linked together or maybe there's like a significant weight change that has to happen because of a transition or there's a different landing to a skill um, or, you know, you want to practice that linked together. Sometimes I feel like this is kind of obvious. And then sometimes I think this is what happens when we get in a rut is we just drill our turns the same way, but that's not actually how they get competed. Or we, you know, forget we're training our jumps, you know, in a specific sequence of like warmups. And so we go from, you know, smaller jumps and increase to complexity to the harder jump. But in a routine, that's the, the hard jump is the first jump you throw. Just thinking about the context around it uh, and practicing it that way. So for example, if you have a turn sequence that ends on the floor, then you drill turns and include, you know, the eight count after that as well. Cause otherwise, right. What happens? The dancers turn, they land on the floor and they just go blah and lay on the floor. And they're going to have a hard time. If you keep drilling it, they actually create that mental connection. They're like, okay, I land turns and done. And they will release all their muscles, right. And actually relax for a minute. And then you go to do it in a routine and they can't keep going. So keeping the, the, the links together between how uh, your technical skills are going to get put together. You know, if you have a formation transition where maybe a dancer's weight is going to be in a specific place going into a jump or going into some really fast syncopated choreography, you want to practice that connection. The bottom line to the skills part of this is thinking about how your skills or challenging aspects of the routine are linked together and then practice changing it up and varying it. And this isn't really just based in choreography either. It's just based on as you're training skills, training them with different, you know, transitions and entrances and exits and practicing and varying how we approach that. Sometimes it's just as important to practice skills, you know, in and out of transitions or just generally practice going from fast paced movement to slow and controlled or practice tempo changes that they might need to master in a routine. If you feel like things are getting in a rut or you, your dancers have a hard time or like they can do the skill, but then I put it in choreography and they can't, uh, then practice even in your technique classes, thinking about how these skills are linked with other skills and varying that as much as you can. So the third step to this, now that we've thought about the physical skills and the environment is to consider kind of every other aspect of the context, uh, that's not the physical like floor and things, but all the other context aspects, like who's watching the timing of it. And even your dancers like physiological level of arousal, what's their heart rate doing when they are going to be getting ready to take the floor. You know, as dancers, we understand that performing in front of other people influences our performance. Of course it does. But while performance in the presence of others doesn't directly influence our movement pattern, like it doesn't change how we execute a skill or the dance itself, it's definitely a factor that influences performance. So it means we need to practice with other people watching or practice with crowd noise, right? Anything that might impact your dancers, uh, just like those things we talked about before, but aren't necessarily physical. Like might they have the sun in their eyes? 
Or are there stage lights coming from the wings? Will there be a ton of crowd noise if you're performing at like sporting events? Are the judges below them looking up or the judges raised higher looking down? Just thinking about all these other aspects that might influence their ability to perform. Another really important way to think about this is the amount of time that they have to get ready to perform. Is it shorter than you might have at practice? Then you want to set it up that way. For example, if they have say 45 minutes between when they arrive at a venue and when they will take the warm up floor, then you want to do that sequence and that much time at practice. You don't want every practice to be, okay, we have two hours. So we do our normal warm up and we practice and then we want it for real quote unquote at the end. But then at competition day, they only have 45 minutes, right? You want it to be as similar as possible of exactly what that time frame is going to feel like. When we perform or compete, we also have elevated heart rates, right? We have a higher physiological arousal. We have that feeling of being really pumped up before we take the floor. And you've probably seen those dancers who take the floor and you can see how jittery they are. It can be really hard to control. Usually they go too fast. So it's important to practice kind of inducing that jittery feeling and learning to control it. So you can do that by performing in front of people, video recording, or even just increasing your heart rate before you start the routine. So even just practicing, like creating that fast heart rate with, you know, high knees or jumping jacks or something and practicing going right into the beginning of the routine and just even to run the first few eight counts and say like, okay, how long did it take you to kind of settle in? Are you still a little bouncy? Are you still not solid in your feet? Are you not feeling the floor and kind of noticing what that feels like and helping them learn, I'm going to start this routine with my heart rate really high unless I do something about it. You can also, again, simulate crowd noise. You can practice outside in different weather. You can change up the floor, you know, remove uh, the, or cover mirrors. You can, you know, watch and film from lots of different angles, simulate lights, like lots of different things you can do. And it's again, anything that doesn't affect the actual movement, but it's going to impact performance, noise, time, judges, uh, and where they're sitting, you know, they all impact how we compete. So during practice, use this variability strategy to your advantage and change it up. Again, you want to do this more and more as you get closer to performance time when like the routine and the knowledge of what you need to do, the skills are there. We're just trying to amp up our ability to execute when it matters. The best way to ensure effective transfer from practice to competition is to think about the similarities between skill and context and mental processing between practice and performance. You want them to be as similar as possible and then introduce as much variety as possible. Use your practice time to cover your bases, you know, use a variety as much as you can and making it as similar to any context they might be in. Again, considering the physical environment, your physiological and mental state personally, you know, the more you can have variety in practice and get comfortable with adapting, the more your dancers will be able to adapt to any competition environment even if they've never been there before. Again, that's the whole goal to this. If you can mimic the competition setting exactly, then do it. But I think that's often pretty rare. And so if you can't mimic exactly, you use 
variability and you help them learn to just be the dancer who can adapt. And that way, you know, adapting to something new becomes a norm and it's no longer a scary thing to be in this new venue or new situation. You're setting them up for more confidence. Uh, you're setting them up to be able to kind of regulate their emotions and their stress when they're somewhere new. Cause they know like, all right, throw it at me. I can do this no matter what is changing or what is new that I might be in front of. Okay. I hope this was helpful to think about today. Maybe a way that you might be able to change things up next time you're in practices. I'd love to hear from you. If you have other ideas of ways that you have um, added some variability, or if you have questions about this, like send me a DM on Instagram, send me an email. I'm always available. I'd love to chat with you about it. And I want to leave you with this. I know that we all have big goals and dreams. I know you do because you're a part of this community. And I have some big goals too, that you can really help me achieve. If you enjoyed the episode or found it helpful, would you please hit subscribe if you haven't already, or go to Apple podcasts, leave a five-star review. I would love to see this podcast continue to grow and to reach more and more dance educators and dancers who want to hear it. That way, you know, it would really help me out if you would subscribe or leave a review or share it with any of your dance community friends. All of you here, this whole community just means a lot to me. So thank you for being here and keep sharing your passion for dance with the world.